0: You have written and researched and spoke about Arabic hip hop extensively. This is why today we have you with us to um, expand more on the topic. In the beginning, can you um, tell us a bit about your interest in Arabic hip hop and where did you first get the inspiration to start researching, writing, and understanding that new genre?
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's a pleasure to be talking about this with you, Ali, I feel like you're you followed from the you're one of the earliest interlocutors that I had on the subject and so it's, uh, thank you for, for reaching out and I'm happy to continue the conversation. I guess uh, I'm one of, the, one of the people of our generation that was really taken by, by the uprisings. It completely changed my life and I was in New York at the time and I remember watching the revolution in Tahrir via the Jazeera feed. This was kind of my Introduction to a lot of different things that are now a part of my life or that were a part of my life over the past 10 years. At the time, I was a graduate student. I was um, doing a PhD and I was thinking that my um, research was going to be about uh, different aspects of popular culture in the 19th century in the United States. I was interested in things like vaudeville and minstrel shows and how we could see aspects of that popular culture continuing through to the present day as a way to understand race and racism, as a way to understand gender dynamics, and so on. I was studying for my qualifying exams, actually, as the revolution broke out, and I realized very quickly that I did not have interest in those things anymore, Uh, and that if I wanted to continue my PhD, which was in theater... Uh, and performance, then I would need to quickly find another subject that I could focus on uh, in order to continue the degree. But all I was doing was on Twitter and on different platforms following the the revolution. So I tripped on some rap, I think. uh, And like as a as a side thing to get rid of the deadline of the PhD or coursework that I was doing, I said, Yeah, I'm gonna focus on this cultural production. And, and maybe as it's related to the uprisings, maybe as it's related to political expression, maybe as it's not related to any of these, I said, No, like I'll deal with it later. Uh, I wanna focus right now on understanding what's happening politically. So that's kind of how it started. And then I had made that commitment. And so I was like, okay, let's dig in and figure out what's happening. Where were you? At the Arabic. Time?
0: Sorry, where were you at the
1: time? I was yeah, I was in New York. I was living okay. in Brooklyn. I was teaching classes in Harlem. I had a lot of time in the subway with, with music, right? And so that's kind of where it started. And that, I mean that's a little bit of like structurally how it started and then What really kind of what I ended up focusing on was I remember those commutes because I would be listening to different kinds, different music. And I remember tripping on Ramallah Underground in this period and that I would have very strong emotional reactions to some of their work. I didn't know what to make of it. I would be listening to pieces and just like before I knew it, like my face was wet with tears. I was like shaking. And so I thought that that was an unusual reaction to, uh, I, I <laughs> to a want, piece of music. I want to talk
0: yeah. about this reaction. I'm glad you brought it up, actually, because it is literally an emotional reaction about that feeling I had as well. When I first listened to them, uh, but Ramallah Underground much more in 2008, I was starting to become politically aware about who we are, where we are, the occupation and so on. When I when I heard the lyrics of Ramallah Underground, it kind of hit me on a level that no Arabic music have hit me before. You know, I love George Wasuf and I love the tarab of George Wasuf. I can completely get into that music. But that type of music that came in 2008 from Palestine was more like an awareness sort of um experience because i suddenly start learning about palestine from these people who are singing much more from anything around me at that time
1: so i came to it late i mean those tracks came out i think like you said in 2008 2007 2009 stuff like that and i was listening to them in 2011 right so i was not listening at the same time that others were to those tracks but they were very powerful uh, anyway. And- and to me like I' had experiences that I would call emotional experiences listening to music before but this was something different I mean it was it was not just like you feel the music it was a total. it was like a portal like you jump down a rabbit hole of introspection and like uh, thinking about the whole world and thinking about your place in it and it's um, uh, and see it's not track but it's, like um It's the the refrain that got me is when they're saying, how would it punish if it shit me? Exactly. And she, I don't remember exactly what it was, but I remember like that was like, you know, it's like almost like you have walls built up and they all just like came crashing down, which was also how I felt watching the revolution in Tahir. So to me, they were very connected even though the song was written way before the revolution yeah. and they're not actually connected. So my research was like, oh, there's this, you know, the original research question was like, oh, there's this interesting phenomenon, cultural phenomenon attached to the revolutions. How we, how can we understand it? And then I didn't have to dig very deeply to, to realize well they're not connected to the revolutions. And so there, there's something else that is, um, if I want to explore this connection, why it was powerful to me in this moment, I have to do some other kind of piecing together of things to understand to understand what's going on because ultimately it was not it is not like an expression of resistance it's not like a, an anthem in the street you know that kind of thing I was mm-hmm. trying to understand politics a little bit differently and as I continued my research what really you know, I had that in the back of my head, my experience with Ramallah Underground, but I was like, maybe I'm weird, you know, maybe this is just me, and this is what brought me to this research, and other people have different reactions to it. There's a piece from El jas and El farai where they're talking about when they go to rap in uh, in the Netherlands or something, in Scandinavia. And in his lyrics, yeah, in his lyrics, al talks about how he encounters someone who came to the concert and she is crying. And then I was like, wait a minute, maybe maybe there are other people who are having these same kinds of reactions that I'm having. Uh, and so this kind of started the whole exploration. First, it was framed as up in my research. Like, let's talk about tarab and rap. Yeah. Um, and that got some, you know, there were some interesting things to pull out there. And, you know, rappers were talking about their experiences, how they get into flow, what flow is like for them, how they feel it. DJs were talking about, you know, how they build experiences for their listeners and how it's like taking them on a trip and really like, you know, thinking about the the almost mathematical parts of making music and, and how we suspend this kind of feeling. But the more w- I talked about it in that vein, the more I talked about it as Tadab, the more was not exactly what I was talking about. Mm. You know, like, um, the association with up was so strong with, like, Tadab music <laughs> and that sense of the trip or losing consciousness that I felt like that was not the experience that I was trying to understand, so intellectualized.
0: With that? Nap- I feel like it kind of has a a transcendental state that music creates, which tarab does, but it's more on an intellectual level. You are transcendental in your thoughts beyond your immediate day-to-day experience. That's how I felt Arabic rap spoke to me as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like, I feel like maybe there's two kinds. Mm. There is like the tarab of the rhythm that can Mm. happen, right? And you can see, you know, uh, when that happens in a concert. But there's also, like, you know, this opening of the portal where you fall down this rabbit hole in your head mm. that is that is also, like, cut up. And you can see in a concert when that is happening or when it you know, or when it's almost happening. Because the crowd is not moving, right? Like, you have... It's really still. People are really still when they're listening mm. um, or... I shouldn't say, like, you can see what's happening. You can see when the conditions are, like, appropriate (laughs) for that kind of thing. Talking to rappers over the years, they confirm these different kinds of modes also. You know, like, Jas and I have talked a lot about, like, generating the conditions for listening. And what are the conditions that work for the kinds of music that he's creating and the kinds of, like, invitations to listen that that he's looking for so yeah so maybe i would say maybe there's both there's a kind of like a, a, a rhythmic thing that can happen but then there's this the, the intellectual one that i just have been calling like what fills your head right which is you know in arabic attached to the sense of startup, but can also be other things.
0: If you were to contextualize the phenomenon Arabic rap in a socioeconomic sense, do you think that Arabic rap as a genre was able to speak to our pan-Arab collective youth experience during 2011 and 2012?
1: I feel like it's a little bit of both, right? It's, it speaks to your individual experience, but it only works at that level if that individual thing is, is shared. So an individualist Uh,
0: experience and a collectivist setup, I guess.
1: Yeah, it's kind of like I recognize this thing to be true, and that it's shared amongst us, right? So, like, if I go back to the example of Ramallah underground, it's powerful that somebody, like I know deep inside, I have this like pushing and pulling away from politics, right? But then when I hear someone else say that, right, I feel like. That, individ- that thing that was individual becomes, it's a shared thing, right? Mm. If he's speaking about it, it means he's speaking to an audience that will understand what that experience is. And that is really like, especially considering like the media landscape that has, at least at the beginning of the 2010s, there was not so much capacity for, for people to express themselves in different ways, right? Even like, there wasn't so much expression in Arabic, all, all of the social media was in English or, you know, and, and the revolutions kind of were a part of that vernacularization of an Arab youth experience, right, in language and in, in different poetic expression. and So I think it was able to speak to something that was shared among some Arab youth, to get to your question but i'm always reminded that like you know for almost 10 years i was doing this research and i would tell people what i was working on and most of the time people would say oh there's rap in arabic I know. and but i mean like other other arab youth would be asking me this right not not you know like whoever in ohio or in new york like yeah, yeah. people in beirut and in ramallah and in amman were asking would respond in that way so i think that our experiences are really different. Our exposures are different.
0: Yeah. It's funny because what you said also still applies today, you know, in Beirut and, and, and Egypt and other places, maybe not so much in Egypt anymore. People would ask you if there is Arabic hip hop. Or As a DJ, when I used to play it at nightclubs like two years ago before the corona, people would come and ask me, oh, what is this? And... And I feel like this is precisely what you were talking about, that in in the early 2010s and 2011, there was a lack of tools and mediums and and platforms for self-expression. These artists kind of knew how to articulate a collective experience uh, through Arabic rap, but then it was also on the cusp of becoming extremely available after that. The podiums. Also... The tools of um, creation, like production programs, for instance, I was speaking with Farai earlier in an interview about how back then, it's not the same as today, someone comes and say, oh, you had an Ableton or whatever program back then, I have the same now, what's the big fuss is all about? Back then, it wasn't that way. Yes, artists had access to programs, but the know-how was extremely limited, in my opinion, unlike how it is now. Right now, the know-how is widely available, Creating music and so on.
1: Absolutely, on the technical level, but I think on an emotional cultural level, mm. I think there was a sense that we had to put our experiences, we had to express them through certain frames. Like either there was political in the sense that our parents or previous generation was political, or it was like I don't know Westernized or like taken up in a you know there there were it was a kind of like. There, there are these two ways that you can express yourself. And if you find yourself in a, in a third frame or a fourth frame, nobody will understand what you mean. I think uh, rap was one of the formats and one of the genres where a third way, like, um, that, and there was even that collaboration that was called this, I think. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. That That was really responding to the sense that we don't have to express ourselves in, in defined, predefined ways, like we can open it. And this was one of the really exciting things about this expression, I think,
0: too. Yeah, of course, it was the, the zeitgeist as well. Like back then, there yeah. was an explosion of tools of expression. Also, people were on the streets in the millions and they were they were speaking big terms. Like we were hearing big terms for the first time as our generation from 10 years ago. But I was like. In the late twenties, and I start hearing these big terms in the street. Uh, people start speaking about liberating Palestine and stuff. They went beyond the local issues that the protest starts, and and this is where this music came and actually contextualized and cap- and like capitalized on on that spirit and new language that was being spoken. Suddenly, we found that there is no limit to say whatever you want on social media everywhere, from Morocco to Yemen people start writing in ways on social media, making videos and so on, that they would never have done that before the Arab uprisings. And I think yeah. rap and hip-hop came in that sense, like you were saying, it was a third way, it used different tools and sounds, it was, it was using electronic-based music, which was a good uh, synthesizing between Arabic language, spoken eloquently, and some nice, uh, cool beats, in my opinion. Yeah, 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 I agree. Okay, this is this is something also that intrigued me a lot um, from that moment, from 2011 on. That there was um, there was a huge, obviously there was a huge Western media focus and attention on what was happening in the Arab world. One of the things that took a lot of attention was uh, Arabic rap and hip hop from Western journalists, from NGOs, uh, from academics, from researchers. And I feel for the for the short period of time, the subject was heavily researched. It makes me feel like there is sort of subtle Orientalism or racism behind this approach because it's as if the West saw that Arabic Arab youth are making a cool beat from, from a, a genre that came from America and they mastered it well. It feels like there was a superior outlook on the Arabs and they couldn't believe that they made such good music and everybody was infatuated by it. Rap. I don't know. Do you, do you
1: have something to say about this? I have a lot
0: to say about it. Do. Hell
1: Yeah, I mean, like, the time, the, those years, like, 2011 to 2013, maybe, you want to say, um, when the uprisings were hopeful and the outlook was good and the West was still trying to figure out, what the hell did we miss? How could there be this whole generation that we completely didn't know how to understand at all and now they're organizing protests and they're toppling dictators and like how are we going to understand these people we have no idea right and i feel like the the figure of the arab rapper appeared to many editors and to some researchers as like a very easy handle like as something that their readers could like oh i understand that figure you know like you know, if I am in the U.S., like, I understand a, a basic civic ra- civil rights history, right, um, of, uh, yeah, there were young people, they did these things, they, you know, they spoke truth to power, the world changed, and now we're all better because of it, right? Obviously, this is a very whitewashed version of American history, but it is a handle that was used to understand in those early days the uprisings. And then it changed because there was a similar infatuation with, like, Jihadi rap or whatever the hell that was supposed to be, that that there's so many like pop, uh, you know, re- newspaper articles about things that it didn't, that really a phenomenon that wasn't existing, right? They were like, they're using Jihadi rap to recruit people into ISIS and like, you know, like a complete fantasy of, uh, of how this works, right? Or, or of what this supposed youth category is and what they're interested in. Mm. But I think what it illustrates is, like, I talked about this, like, fetishization of the non-violent creative protester as a kind of neoliberal Orientalism, right? We're looking to understand you through frames that we know, right? And through frames, by the way, that we gave you, right? It's our understanding of of rap, right? But I think we can also understand it as a kind of of blackwashing, if you want, um, of Arab youth, right? Like, how are we going to understand these... These characters who are not white, they're not European, but they're also, you know, who, what are they, right? So we're going to give you a framework that is kind of a a whitewashed version of our own history's understanding difference and power. And so you have this blackwashed figure of the rapper, right? So I, I think that racial dynamic is important because it was rap that was really taken up as this figure, Uh, in the revolutions um, by journalists and researchers and so on because of its racialized associations. Um, And it wasn't like, you know, we had all sorts of creative outpouring attached to the revolutions, but we were not seeing so much energy about, other genres right it was really the rapper that captured this imagination that's true why you think is that i can't put my
0: finger on why rap was the genre that shunned the most like you were saying there was other artists and actually the egyptian dami isam the hard rock singer who launched the massive anthem of the revolution in egypt but rap took over i don't know help me understand it does it have to do with it being globalized and the fact that rap globally is a huge
1: genre I mean, all of these genres are big globally. I mean, electronic like, music is also like a global genre. Rock is a global genre. I mean, I have understood it through this kind of like the the racial associations attached to rap make it as a like the the, the history of rap as coming out of black and brown communities in the U.S. and as attached to offerings social and political critiques from that community to white structures of power, right? This is an understanding of of rap that is true, right? But like the mainstream in the U.S. I'm speaking of has kind of whitewashed that history so that they can own it at the same time, right? Like, oh, yeah, you know, like we're part of a multicultural society now. Uh, This is part of our history. And look. They are doing the same thing is happening there, right? Hisham Aide has written about this as well. You know, like it's not just newspapers and researchers, right? Like at the state level, we have policy that is trying to use rap to, you know, reach hearts and minds overseas, right? Like it's it's a it's an imagination that's connected, right? And I'm not saying that this is what rappers are actually no, doing. No, they exploit it in right? that sense. Yes, yes.
0: In Cuba, recently, we saw how they used a rap group, a Cuban rap group in order to, they literally funded a Cuban rap group in order to rap against the Cuban state. And it's funny because the history of rap in Cuba have always been sponsored by the state in a sense, because the state is a revolutionary state, unlike the state in the US, for example, that is exploiting people and so on. That was interesting recently in the protests in Cuba, how they used rap against the Cuban Government and people denounced it again. I was reading an article in Al Jazeera that spoke about how Hillary Clinton, at some point, flirted with the idea of sending rappers and hip hop artists in order to infiltrate certain societies.
1: Oh, they did. That's a thing. It, a thing. it actually happened. <laughs> yeah, they were called the Rhythm Road Tour. Yeah, and they were built off the the model of jazz diplomacy during the Cold War. Mm. No, it's. A th- I can send you. There's some. There are some really bizarre, like, uh, you know, interviews with her on, like, American talk shows in, like, 2011, 2012, where, you know, they're talking about rap as a a chess piece, like, on the board of public diplomacy. That's messed Um, up. Yeah, it's, it's really messed up. But but that's just to say that, like, I think there 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 is this imagination about what politics is and who are agents of change mm. that is shared, you know, between the newspaper editor and, you know, the public, the diplomat and certain researchers and NGOs. Right. And that kind of imagination is what I was trying to understand as neoliberal orientalism, mm. as like as a we know what political change looks like. We know who are the agents of change. These are the things they want, right? They want freedom of expression. They want freedom, right? (laughs) Uh, uh, And uh, those are the things they want. They look like this. They're young people who are creative, who are entrepreneurial, who use media, uh, who use social media, right? There's the whole relationship between the blogging scene in Egypt and the mm. State Department in Egypt, um, the US State Depart- Department in Egypt before the revolution also that that really illustrates this this kind of fetishization of a certain youth profile. And those 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 things, like we know what, what you want, we know what you look like, we know the tools that you use, right? Focusing on those, like it illustrates an impoverished under political understanding of the US's own history, right? And it 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 like it encourages an impoverished political understanding of the cur- of the current landscape, right? Because then you don't understand how you're involved as as the U.S., right, in the perpetuation of shit regimes in the region. Mm-hmm. You you don't even know to look there because you're focused on you know this empowered empowered youth. But it it doesn't tell obviously it doesn't tell the whole story. Um, it doesn't even tell a, like a piece of it in a compelling way, because you miss out on all the other forms of youth organizing and youth expression and youth like experimentation that don't look like that model that you're familiar with. And the, the political analysis is obviously holes in it from the beginning. This is something
0: that just reminded me of the fact that what you were saying is so right. And I was thinking that it's either that the Americans don't learn from the lessons of history or that American liberalism or Western liberalism is really interested in focusing on certain identities, certain individualist identities that they think by sponsoring those They can create new identities in society and therefore people will follow and so on. It makes me think about history as well. When colonialism entered entered the region, they played on these contradictions by uh, supporting minority identities and amplifying that over the majority that was living there and creating this divide and conquer. Today, like you were saying, just made me think that there is an insistence on rising, shedding a light on certain identities in Arab countries. We're speaking about the Arab world. Some people like rap, therefore we can frame that in our foreign policy and, and, and amplify those.
1: Yeah, um, Hanan Tukan has a fascinating book that just came out from Stanford about this similar dynamics in art, visual art markets. Mm. It's called um, The Politics of Art. It's called the politics of art. Is it out? Yeah, she's look yeah, yeah, it's out. And she's looking at art and art markets in, in Lebanon and Palestine and Jordan in Jordan. The subtitle is Descent and Cultural Diplomacy in, in those three countries. But it she does a very good job of kind of like tracking how there's a shift in the theory of change that's adopted by those like uh, major philanthropies and like funders of art and that like we're not trying to impose change we're trying to support the change makers (laughs) and give them space to kind of figure out what that is Um, but how that has kind of like affected the whole way that artists relate to their own societies and also to a global uh, globalized audience it's really I think you'll
0: Actually, this is a topic that I've been thinking a lot about it because, like, I've been trying to analyze the music that came in 2011 and what happened in the last 10 years. And in my analysis, I always, I always reached a point in 2018 where this music alternative, it's called Alternative, used to be called Alternative, it started becoming a mainstream in its own uh, respect, or starting moving towards mainstream entertainment started becoming more of a form yeah. of entertainment. And I always feel like 2018 is is literally the year where you see the change, uh, the alternative scene turning into entertainment. And you can always see a lot of things happen at the same time. There was the entry of uh, monetized streaming. There was the entry of big music corporations to the Arab market as well. And there was the huge and aggressive wave of normalization that started in the Gulf. And I feel these are all connected. What I wanted to say is, why do you think that genre couldn't sustain itself as an alternative music, as the voice of the people? And by 2018, I think or now, it's it's all directed towards entertainment in a way. It became an entertainment. This is a great question
1: that I wish there was more talk about. Like, I wish what we need is a panel discussion with Mm. the with these guys coming together to talk about like what. What are you thinking about and and why are we making the decisions that we are making? Um, so I've had a few conversations with rappers one on one about this. My sense is that two things. One, the like the push for commercialization or making it has existed with some rappers from the beginning. Right. Like that has been the drive for, for some of them for a while. It's a genre on its own, you can say. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The other thing is that, like, I feel like some of the newer energy, especially coming out of Ramallah, is very eager to refuse all frameworks of politicizing the work, right? That they're so over being told that they're the voice of the people or the heart of the region or the brain of the struggle, that, like, the, the most you know the biggest middle finger they can they can raise to that expectation is to commercialize it right you could say it's a kind of resistance but this is a, i think it's a boring way to phrase it right? like but i really feel a kind of like an affective relationship to the political in palestine that is changing right mm. that there is is a generation of of young men that are like really pissed off like and over all the frames that anyone from outside has tried to put on them right for understanding politics for understanding change for understanding the future for understanding what empowerment is they're like you don't get to tell me like what it means to be a rapper i'm going to do it like uh, this is me I, it's me <laughs> right so i mean i'm talking in particular about Shabzid because i think his like his metaphorical raised finger is so powerful that even, you know, you see the guys around him are just, like, looking at him in that way. Um, uh, He has the kind of working-class authenticity that some of the other ones don't have, and that is kind of, like, driving, uh, or it's, it's permitting a focus on the commercial or the mainstream that before may have felt like selling out, right? Like, I remember... You remember when Infetai, uh and the team moved to London and with 47 Soul, and there there was this kind of outcry, and like, how how could you guys sell out and go to London with a boy band, basically? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there was a little conversation, but it was very snarky and mm-hmm. didn't leave a lot of room for, like, exploring what is the future of the genre and what is the future for all of us of our work, right? I'm thinking about those exchanges between between a, a group of Yeah, I know what
0: you're talking there. about.
1: And it got it got yeah.
0: nasty a bit, and it was for from a listener's perspective, it was a bit disappointing that this happened. I felt like it was a period when there was depression start taking over after the hype of the Arab Revolutions. It seemed that our naivety was brutally crushed. We realized that mm-hmm. it doesn't happen when you bring people to the street, that is not it, you know. We also mm-hmm. matured mm-hmm. a lot because of this experience. After the in egypt in 2013 there was a lot of depression and i feel like the scene turned in on itself in a way like we start hearing more rap songs made for other rappers uh, instead of Mm -hmm. it being made as a public expression that we could all relate to we start listening to rap music that is very particular that you needed to know the scene in order to understand what the person was talking about and that period is when this this split starts happening when 47 soul came to london and so on Today, I feel like it's very crucial to be what you were just saying in Palestine, Shabdid as an example, is that being Palestinian, there's so much expectations. This is how I am understanding him. I'm, I really like his lyrics. I'm actually happy that he's a rapper, second generation, let's say. His influence was Arabic rap. His influence wasn't yeah. American rap. He's not a middle class right. kid who went to university and decided that I'm going to chase my... Creativity and his parents supported him, and his friends hyped him. He, he, he's, um, he's lyrically talented, and I feel like without trying to be resistance and hype up the resistance uh, narrative or discourse of Palestine, just the fact of being Palestinian living under occupation is in itself huge. And that's what he's doing. I feel telling his story of being a, a, just a Palestinian under occupation is in itself big and doesn't need to be framed in certain ideological uh, resistance or, or not. Uh, type of frames, in my opinion.
1: Maaz has a great interview with with him, with Shem this long video interview, I don't know if you've seen it. Yeah, of course. But uh, he, yeah, where he lays out, like, he's like, I want to get married, man, and I can't get married if I haven't made it as a rapper. So if I'm not going to make it, then that's it, it's three years and I'm done, right? Uh, And you can see the other Haikal and Nafr who are there who are just kind of like in awe of this kind of discourse that's happening. So no one is calling what he's doing resistance, but it is like I can I like immediately understand it as like a fuck you to all of your expectations about what I'm supposed to do and what I'm supposed to be. This is this is it. This is who I am. So you were talking about commercialization and and making it. So like I think that's one narrative that we have of making it. And then you have this like to, what to me was a totally trippy and bizarre collaboration with Hermes that uh, that Black uh, <laughs> The yes. did with you Hermes, know. that I was just like, well, I didn't see that coming, right? And maybe that's why they did it, because they're like, no one would have seen this but coming, and we're just, Yeah, exactly. You know?
0: we're, I feel that's the thing about platinum. They throw at you something that is completely out of the norm. You might like it, you might hate it, but you know.
1: So, like, that's one way that I feel like some of the commercialization is happening. The others are, uh, or maybe that's, like, what we're seeing a little bit in Palestine. Red Bull, I think, is really, like, driving some of the other commercialization of Mm -hmm. the music in Jordan and in in Lebanon. And in, in Jordan, it's a little bit older. I mean, Red Bull has, or maybe you can tell me, maybe you know better. And maybe it's not that much older in Jordan, but I was just more familiar with their presence in Jordan before the the arena stuff in, in Beirut. I feel like there's another model of like commercialization or mass appeal of the genre that, that is happening out of Beirut around the the battles that is a different energy and a different kind of take on commercialization and making it, but that is driven by similar maybe like, we, we have if we're going to get into our 40s, right, and be doing this, we have to make some money uh, yeah, off yeah, of this, which yeah. is not a... It doesn't have to be a dirty consideration. Um, and if you talk to, um, like, my conversations with Soto Sura, for example, back in 2013 or 14, he was like, how are, how are we going to sustain a scene if, if the guys can't make a living off of it? Yeah, yeah, it's a legitimate you know, Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, um, t- it's And t- so... Uh, yeah, I don't want to like also denigrate the, the drive for commercialization, but there different things are being produced and they feel different than what we saw or what I was feeling in the 2011-2012 for sure. And that definitely
0: attests to the fact that where this music started 11 years ago, it's definitely somewhere else today. It it went to a whole different realm. Things changed massively. And in my opinion, there's a fine line, and I totally understand that artists need to sustain it themselves. And life life is hard, you know, if you, you just want to make music without any income, you have to be lucky, or, or otherwise you can't make it. Or in my opinion, there is a need for a collectivist approach in a professional way, like what Blatnam is doing in Palestine. I think it's 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 an interesting experience that should be learned from, because today, you know, the streaming world and big music are hegemonizing on the, on the sonic experience. They have tools and money and AR people that could push their artists on playlists, on Spotify, on SoundCloud, that will encroach on the rest of the people. And so I don't think that an individualist, politically committed artist by himself today could sustain it. There need to be something collectivist and, and uncompromising, like Blatinum and Palestine, again. I'm very intrigued by their experience and the way they are, they are actually presenting themselves as a school. Like now they have a, new, a whole new generation of rappers. Like Fauzi, for example, they so like fresh, young, a new voice coming from Blatnam. I don't know, what do you think, like for survival of this kind of music that is not compromising? Can't survive by itself
1: i a hundred percent agree and i think that attention to like you know that's what i was saying like we need a conversation if it's if it's one if it's each individual by himself trying to figure out like how i'm gonna pay the bills how i'm gonna plan my future and i have this offer you know like it's red bull or it's nothing right so as an individual i'm gonna take it but then be at the whim of of that contract or that agreement right but if we work together, you know, we can, maybe it's idealized a little bit. The scene is always full of fractures, right? But yeah. I think you're 100% right that collectives will have better bargaining uh, and more strength uh, determining how they engage with big capital or bigger capital like that. And, and the question, you know, like for me at some point, like as not a musician, as a researcher who was like sometimes affiliated with different institutions, not in the region, like what is the role of the the half dozen researchers who are doing the research that get the the critique of resistance that get the you know, like do we have a, a role to play mm. in figure helping to figure out what is the future of the scene? what is the future of cultural production and and how to mediate between these different players, right? The, the trouble with the whole neoliberal environment that we're in is that everybody feels like an individual against the mm. system, right? Yeah. Um, and yeah. so it's very difficult to figure out, like, what is the platform, what is the common ground that we share, right? Like, mm. even when you start a conversation w- with... Um, uh, with Chino or with someone about like what's happening with these battles, it feels like it's the the setup is like a it's like a critique or like um you know which is not a productive way to figure out what our com- like what is our common ground um and who who can help defend that space uh, and move it forward together. I mean like this is only like a way of thinking that I've been able to like even. Imagine since I left academia and was out of that austerity of like um, really thinking about like a, an individual that has to protect their territory basically right yeah, um, yeah. so I think you're you're a hundred percent right that like collectives will have a better chance of like carving out what the future will look like What's still a question to me is how do we build those collectives you know like what does a union look like not a union in the terms of like a labor union but but, but, but like an alliance, can, like a proper
0: alliance. An alliance, yeah. It, it could be an alliance I,
1: of the yes. word, like the word
0: Arabic, the Arabic language also is, is under massive cultural engineering and so on. So it could be like an alliance of the word, an alliance of music.
1: Yeah. Yeah, with people from different places working in different industries exactly. to think about like what are the different, Absolutely.
0: I'm worried that because the way streaming algorithm is rigged and artists know how to play on it, it kind of filters the artists to their very niche locality. And that is killing the universal aspect that it started with in 2011 when it spoke uh, from Lebanon, spoke to Tunis, from Syria, spoke to Libya, from Egypt, it spoke to Palestine. Artists sang for each other's countries and so on. That's what I'm afraid of. Finish on a note, I feel like music, when we started talking about how music, this music made us felt emotional like none other, I feel like music is, um, is a spiritual realm that always a big, big cultural powers trying to hegemonize over it in order to control the cultural appeal of the way people think. In your opinion, is it impossible for independent artists to stand against big music hegemonization over streaming market?
1: I want to say yes, but like how will you know when that happens, Mm. you know what I mean? Mm. I think it's not only like the technical tools or affordances, I mean we have to think about like the thirst for the kind of expression that we saw in 2011, it's not there. There's more fear than there was, right? And and we have to acknowledge that, that like this the appetite is not there. It's not a technical question. We can't fix it. Like, how do we move and think about politics and think about relationality in the period of fear or in a period of apathy or in a period of depression and isolation, which is the one we're in now, right? Like an anthem can't just take off in this climate, right? Like there are reasons why there's like the zeitgeist goes up and down, right? Or it changes and shapes. So I think that of course it's possible, right? And that whatever hegemony the the different systems impose, there will always be cracks in it that we will find and expose and like crank open. Mm. Um, I think like the challenge for me has been like, how do I not despair when the mood is despair, right? Like how do I learn how to understand that this is part of a political process and to be not as excited about depression as I am about revolution, who can do that, right? Yes. But find it as interesting, you know, as... The, those periods when people are pouring into the streets. And this is a challenge, I haven't figured it out yet, right? But I think like, how do I understand the super commercialized as just an like, invigorating political expression as the one that says, as the ones that were like accompanying the latest protest in, in Lebanon, for example. And that that is something that I think is like, for me personally, it helps me keep hope and, like, keep sane okay. <laughs> through darker periods. But politically, I think it's really important to push back on that, like, that neoliberal orientalizing model, right, that says that exciting political change only exists in, you know, these engaged, principled protests industry, yeah. right? Political change is constantly happening. So, like, how mm-hmm. do we understand it? How do we imagine it? How do we see those figures, those agents of change? How do we imagine agency Mm. when there isn't like a big occupation in in the city square? You know, like and that, if we can like multiply how we understand agency, I think we'll have more tools when when things feel heavy. That's an excellent note
0: to finish on. (laughs) Is there anything you wanted to add to feel like? didn't talk about
1: the only thing that I feel like needs more talking besides all of the things that we just said is Arab societies in general are going to be facing a reckoning about race Mm. over the, the next decades I think and it needs to happen in the rap scene as much as anywhere else right the projection of rapping has kind of it's one of the things that allows some Arab youth to say like well I'm black you know mm. we see that in diaspora communities all the time which is just it's a way that white supremacy is working in in our families and in our communities mm. and we have to address it and i think instead of being at the vanguard of these conversations the rap scene has been at the back and that's a real problem i think so i well, we um, hope that that's gonna be like listening. a whole nother can of worms <laughs> um But that is something, like, if we're talking about, like, how are we going to get these different musicians together to talk about the future of the scene, like, I think it should be front and center, race and gender. Yeah, yeah. Well, we hope so. Excellent talking
0: to you, Raya. (laughs) Shukran, dear. So good. Giving us some of your time. So
1: good.